Shut up and sit down. question that guy asked me and um I was thinking about it and I responded to the person but I'm I've I've been thinking about it for um since I got I answered the email this morning and um the email was about um rough trade and uh the challenge environment that I encourage and the person wanted to know why um I um, encourage you know the challenges and and why I have three a year and um uh and why the challenges are in their words difficult. I try to structure challenges on rough trade. Um, this is going to sound. I don't want this to sound ugly. So please don't, please don't read into any of this anything more than what I'm going to say. I try to structure the challenges at Rough Trade for the lowest common denominator. Which means that I try to structure challenges that will appeal to the broadest number of writers in our little tribe. And the biggest word count challenge every year is National Novel Writing Month and I do that in November and that's an international challenge and I don't have any control over the word count and it coincides um, that's where Rough Trade got its foundation with um, Naked Nano um, was we were doing a uh, um, a National Novel Writing Month challenge and that's why November has the 50,000 word count for the 30 days and that's never going to change now um, there's I want to tell you something Uh, last summer in response to the idea that I was asking too much of participants as far as word count goes I did a episode challenge where the minimum word count required to participate was 5,000 words in a month. That was it. You only had to write one episode. Now, the challenge was to write five episodes. The minimum to participate was one episode at 5,000 words. 47 people signed up. Sixteen failed to participate. Eight 
in April, we did a mulligan challenge where if you had a previous work that you'd done on rough trade, you could do the thing, right? Um, and the minimum work count for that was 25K. We had 36 participants. For July, well, oh, let's go to April. April 2018, we did a 40K challenge for Harry Potter. We had 81 signups. In July, coming up, starting in two days, we had 76 for two 20K stories. So I, I tried to make allowances for um, a very small word count to see if that was an issue. And obviously, it's not an issue because it was the lowest amount of people we've ever had sign up in a July challenge. And it people under-participated or didn't participate at all and just blew it off. So, okay. Now, granted, four challenges a month, if you include the Quantum Bank, a year, if you, if you include the Quantum Bank, is a lot for some people. But I happen to find the challenge environment very inspiring, and that's why I do rough trade the way I do. Um, but I would like to point out to you that none of it is required. You don't have to participate in any of it. And if you only want to do nano every year of rough trade, that's all you have to do. If you only want to do the, the boot camp in the summer, that's all you have to do. You don't have to participate in every single rough trade event unless you want to. It's not a requirement. The Quantum Bay is um, a big thing. Now, Lady Holder, you don't get a choice. <laughs> that was for other people, not for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not holding Lady Holder hostage in the challenge environment. Okay, anyways, but. I do think, I really do believe that the challenge environment in rough trade is very nurturing and very inspiring and awesome. And I highly recommend that you try it. And if you, and if you don't meet your goal, that's all that happens. You don't meet your goal. There's no punishment. There's no, you know, ugly emails from me saying, how dare you take my challenge and only write 5K? How dare you? Oh, my God. I don't, no, I don't do that. I don't. There's no shaming involved in rough trade. I have failed just as many rough trades as I have succeeded at. I don't shame you in emails, Lady Holder. How dare you? I do that on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> you get that shit right. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the email was kind of startling, and I answered it, and she wasn't trying to be rude. She was just... I think that um, the the challenge environment isn't for everybody, and it's important for your own <laughs> mental health and for your um, and your and your health as a writer to understand what your limits are. But it's also just as important to challenge those limits. Anybody looking at the quantum bang and saying fifty thousand words is impossible, dudes. If you wrote 500 words a day, I'm, at, I'm, I'm using the calculator so I don't fuck it up. 
If you wrote 500 words a day for 100 days, you would have 50,000 words. 500. That's it. And if you, like Joe said in the chat room, if you wrote, only wrote on weekends, on Saturday and Sunday, if you wrote 500 words on Saturday and 500 words on Sunday for a whole year, you would have 50K. This is very doable. 52,000 words is, is what, um, yeah, 52,000. So the goal to write a 50K novel in a year is 1,000 words a week. It is very doable. It's very doable. And it's about challenging yourself and setting goals for yourself and um, learning about who you are. Just learn about who you are. Learn learn your 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 flaws and your uh your your talents and figure out where you have problems and, and where you do really well. You know, so I can say to myself, having been writing for as long as I've been writing, you know, thirty years, that I write very good dialogue. I suck at action. I write really good sex. I suck at description, so I don't do it. <laughs> These are the things that I know about me because I've challenged myself as a writer, and these are the things that I've accomplished. And so don't look at challenges as obstacles. Look at them as goals, and um, it hurts absolutely nothing to try. It really literally hurts nothing to try. We're not going to shame you or make a list of people and put it on the website. That's only for trolls. Just, you know, don't worry about it so much. And if you and if you find the challenge environment too much, it's perfectly okay to admit that. You don't um I'm not going to look down at you for not wanting to do it. Wild hair is sitting there, and if you want to go over there and play where there are no expectations and no demands and feedback is moderated and you can take your pace and just do whatever the hell you want as long as you pay attention to the rules regarding content, then that is the perfect place for you to be. And it is absolutely 100% okay. Yeah. And the quantum bang, you know, you can quantum bang is an end game challenge. So there's nobody looking over your shoulder, judging you, expecting you to post, getting you know weird comments. There's none of that. You know, quantum bang is get your story done, and then reveal it to the world, um, which for a whip writer can be very challenging. Um, and if you are a whip writer, I would encourage you, if not this bang, do some bang at some point and see what it's like to finish a story before you post it. Uh, but the thing is, it doesn't hurt you to sign up. We're not going to massively penalize you if you drop out. So you can sign up and try. And even if you, you know, get, get your story written, but you just don't want to post it, you can still drop out. There's not going to be a yeah, person at the end. Who's going to know? The only people who will know that you didn't get there will be me and Jilly. Yeah, that's it. 
And we only judge assholes. And people who don't put their cart away at the grocery store. (laughs) Which is an asshole. (laughs) That is dickish. The way people, it's not too much to ask. It really is not. It it drives me nuts. It it literally drives me nuts, I, I have to say. Like not I will put my card away everywhere. in the rain. Anyways, tonight we're going to time travel with John Shepard. I thought it would be actually really cool to take a whole bunch of different characters and time travel with them. And so tonight we're going to do John Shepard, but we might do Rodney or Jack O'Neill or um, uh, Harry, of course, Harry Potter, um, Draco, just just all kinds of different time travel characters. Um, I think this would be a good exercise, mental exercise for Ripples and for the Fix-It Bang, um, for Quantum Bang, obviously, um, because time travel is the super awesome, fun way to fix it. Yeah, it is It is the big kahuna of Fix-It. Um, because it's not just a fix, it's a Fix-It that the characters know about. Because a lot of fix-it, the reason why I call it the big kahuna is because it's a fix-it the characters are aware of, as opposed to the fix-its that your characters don't know, you know, your characters are not in on the fix-it, right? Like when you do an Everybody Lives, Nobody Dies AU, that's a fix-it, but the characters aren't aware, uh, unless there's time travel involved or godly intervention of some sort. Um, But for the most part, usually when you're doing like a canon interrupt or... Um, like getting a preferred pairing or giving consequences to an event. It's not like your characters know that you've done a fix-it, but in time travel, your characters are involved in the fixing. So it's like it's like fixing squared. <laughs> it's fixing plus social justice. <laughs> there you go. Do over. Every once in a while, I read a kind of very realistic time travel story where, well, A, the character tries very hard not to impact events in the future. Um, I think that's a little bit of the case of the author trying to deal with the whole idea of the time travel paradox. But in my opinion, you kind of never can really deal with the time travel paradox. So um, what's the point in giving it that much, you know, control of your plot. Um, but also, it just takes it just takes all the fun out of it. What is the point of time traveling? But I read this really realistic story that at one point, once the event that I remember the fandom at this point, but once the event that the um, um, the person had gone back to fix was fixed, they lost all memory of having traveled back in time. And I don't know. I just felt so deflated. <laughs> I just was all pouty and kind of slouching and like, well, that was really Damn realistic. It. <laughs> oh, How dare they? Fuck reality. <laughs> There's no justice boner in that. None. No. Well, at some point, I do need to find some realistic ways of playing Tony back through time. So I, I haven't come up with any very many real outside of getting involved in the uh, Stargate universe and involved Tony getting flung back in time. But 
you know, at some point. Um, yeah. Why is it my chat scrolling? I mean, it usually annoys me that it scrolls, but now it's not scrolling. I just thought you bitches were being quiet. Yeah, but locked. No, you can't lock this one. Yeah. I have no idea. There, it is. I have scroll to latest message is unchecked. I don't know how that happened. Hmm. Huh. Okay, ping. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do John Shepard tonight. And I picked John because he's my unicorn in Stargate. Um, and I think that of all the characters, he is the one that would be the most reckless. I agree. I thought and that was actually a really good point, point you made in, was it Iterum? Yeah, Where Iterum. John went back and just fucked shit up, and Rodney went back and was like, trying to be it. very, very careful. Yeah, I'm going to join the Marines and <laughs> save my little brother's life. And John's living his best life in Iterum. <laughs> Rodney's He's like, all what did in. You do? Everything I could. Because I think that John is like, well, fuck it. I'm here. <laughs> I might as well make myself really happy. <laughs> if they didn't want me to, you know, if whoever didn't want me to just go for it, they shouldn't have sent me back because that was a tactical error. <laughs> <laughs> On their part. Woo-hoo. Should have made a more prudent choice. I do, but I, do, I really do think that that John would just be absolutely reckless with it. He he would have absolute he would have no respect whatsoever for the timeline. And one thing I really regret in interim that I would point out to any of you who are thinking about writing Stargate is that I sent John back in time back enough him and Rodney both that either one of them could have saved Charlie O'Neill and they didn't. That's a terrible thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such an asshole. It, it didn't even cross my mind. And, let's see, okay, though so honestly, all four of them could. Miko, Lorne, John, and Rodney, all four of them went back in time till they were 13, 14, 15 years old, which makes them around the age that I'm pretty sure Charlie O'Neill was still alive. I would have to look at the timeline, but I could have easily skirted it back enough where one of them could have saved his life. They wouldn't, I don't agree that they wouldn't know about Charlie, actually. Um, once that whole thing happened, they all the would. alien pretending to be Charlie, the whole SGC knew. It probably became an urban legend of a sort because people talk and people gossip, and it would have come up. Well, but even if nobody official, nobody, even if everybody never um, outright talked about it, that's one of those things that's not a secret. And when something that, um, why was O'Neill the one who went on the first mission to Abydos? You know, I mean, that's one of those things people would talk about and they would know. It would be like, you know, potentially like, is this an urban legend or is this real? And no one's going to actually ask. But I think it's one of those things that everybody would know. Literally, everyone would know. And if you didn't know, somebody would school you because nobody wants to ask the, the, the general why he's not married and why he doesn't have kids. Otherwise, that question would come up a lot in small talk. It actually becomes a moral dilemma. Um, if you go back to far enough in time, do you save Charlie O'Neill? And the answer is absolutely yes, you do, um, even if there's fallout. 
you know, we we know that there's actually a universe where Charlie O'Neill didn't die and Jack O'Neill still ended up at the SGC. Because it happened yeah, but in the I movie. Think- I think John, okay, so this can be our first plot drift. I actually think John would be the type of guy who would just go and pull O'Neill aside and say, look, I traveled in time, dude, whatever. Or send him something and say, or send him a thing, a note, or just something that says, you still need to go to Abydos. You need to make this mission. I'm telling you about your son, even if it's done anonymously. Protect your son. I think... I think John wouldn't hesitate to bring somebody in on the other in the secrets he had to to ensure that the program happened. Like take take John take him aside and say, "Look, this is what's going to happen. I need you to to do this because if you don't, the world's going to be in a world of shit, and your none of your family is going to survive when these aliens show up because we won't be prepared." And you need a gun safe at home because if you don't, your kid's going to blow his brains out by accident. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how he would get around Jack's skepticism um, of the whole thing, but I think any parent being told that, you know, I'm a time traveler and if you don't lock up your um, gun better, your kid's going to blow his brain out with it. Is going to be more careful with their gun. But then the moment the thing, that Jack O'Neill gets that offer to go to App, just, just he sees the Stargate and he sees that, he's going to know that John Shepard told him the absolute one hundred percent truth. Although, in terms of ripple effect, I don't know. There's a chance that John Jack would not be the person they would tap to go to Abydos in the event that Charlie survives, because they sent Jack. The reason Jack was tapped was because they thought he would be willing to kill himself. They thought he was willing for a suicide mission. But all those other guys were on there. Were they all also suicidal? No, but they needed somebody who was... Jack was the only one who was on the plan. He was the only one knowing that he might not be bringing that team home, that he might be killing himself with a nuclear weapon. His, His mission was if he found a threat to try to get his team back through the gate and then blow the gate from the other side. And he was willing to stay there with that bomb. Nobody else knew what he, his, his orders were in regards to that weapon. At least as I remember that movie. So they took somebody who was, I mean, they might still come to Jack. I don't know. But, I mean, it's a ripple that you'd have to consider is would they? If they didn't feel like he had. Yes, um, they would. I don't know where Hammond is in the movie, but Hammond knows. Oh, that's right, sixty-nine. That Jack O'Neill has to be in the SGC. So, so there you saw the ripple. So, but that's one of those cases of where you need to at least look at it, and then there's a good case that Hammond would make sure it happened, even if General West wouldn't have tapped Jack. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, I I think it would ripple out. I think that um, oftentimes as a writer, you can do like a a hand of fate situation um, where certain events are kind of static. 
and that one way or another, Jack O'Neill will be at the SGC, and one way or another, Jack will go to Abydos. And one way or another, Daniel Jackson is going to fall in love with that native girl and stay on that planet, which will lead Raw to Earth, or back to or or would lead Raw back to Earth, but definitely does lead Apophis to Earth. Points in times, and as a writer, you can you can kind of play on that. But I have to think as soon as Hammond got rank, he knew exactly where Carter, O'Neill, and Daniel Jackson were pretty much at all times. Yeah, that's probably true. Which then also makes Hammond a bit of a dick. Because he didn't say Charlie O'Neill either. Right. But he wouldn't have known. They didn't have any kind of intimate conversation. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have known have Charlie known. O'Neill was this. He would have known pretty much jack shit about the program. But Oh, that's right, right. He he's he's progressing through time. He just okay. So he yeah, yeah he yeah. didn't yeah. I mean he's a dick for other reasons. But <laughs> I like the character a lot, don't get me wrong, but um they had Hammond do some shit, some some shit. Yeah, I don't know that you can have somebody in that kind of program and leadership position who doesn't at some point make a controversial decision. Um, right. But that actually, if whoever, if John is, if John is wanting to, you know, cover his bases, if he's wondering if Jack's desperation, because if Jack, would Jack take a mission to another plant to, through a wormhole, um, if Charlie's still alive? If he, the thing is, um, Based upon um, John's warning, you know, do this thing. Um, when General West people show up and ask him to join the program, of course, he's going to go, okay, well. But he could cover, he could hedge his bets by um, sending a letter to General Hammond. And so I know some people from, you know, the future visited you. I'd have to revisit that episode, but he's visiting you. And you need to be sure that when the time comes to bring people into the program, that you have them bring Jack O'Neill in. It's vital that he be on the team that first goes to Abydos. Yeah. John meets Jack, sends him an anonymous letter. Yeah. Conversely, um, I think that Jack convert uh, uh, on the other side of it. I think that I mean John's gonna be doing whatever he's gonna be doing to to fix shit. Um, I think Jack would want to bring John into the program sooner than he was in canon. Yeah, I agree. You would want to have that person close. So would Hammond. Yeah. I mean, if you've got somebody who has that kind of information, you're gonna want them close. So unless John is avoiding him, which, you know, it would all depend on why John went back in time. Well, for me, there's only one reason why John go back in time by himself, and that's because McKay is dead. Yeah, that's that's the pretty... I mean, he could have died individually. He could have died with everybody, like the whole city went down. Um, 
if you start with enemy of the gate, Earth gets cold. The wormhole drive doesn't work. Or half-ass works. By the time they get there, Earth is being cold, and the race destroy Atlantis. I did have a... Uh, at one point, I had had a Shepherd Brothers idea. The four Yay. Shepherd Brothers. Not the three. The four Shepherd Brothers idea. I think I may have mentioned this on a podcast where... The the city the, the earth is being cold and they they lose and um, all the Tony's the only one who's out of the loop on this because he doesn't know he's a shepherd and the shepherds don't know that he's out there and um, they all get all four of them get sent back in time and they're told that this is this was sort of one of the predecessor ideas to the uh, the Atlantis Codex that I actually wound up writing which didn't involve time travel. But I had a time travel idea where um, that if they were going to save the Atlantis outpost, that all four brothers needed to go. And that was originally accepted as a time travel idea. Um, that they all four of their consciousnesses were sent back to make sure they all went into the program, they all were in the military or whatever. I'm not mad at this. <laughs> well, yeah, well, because they all meet in the afterlife, right? And they're getting briefed about this. And Tony's like, what? Who? Huh? And none of the brothers know about all of this stuff. Um, I don't remember exactly what I had as my vehicle for Matt in that. I maybe had it that that may have been my first iteration of the twins idea that Matt and Alex were twins and that they're both abducted in that idea. Um I have to find my notes on that one. Um, Why don't you just punch Patrick in the dick? <laughs> I'm going to have both this baby stolen. What is wrong with you? I know. I know I'm I'm going to take my Patrick back because you can't be trusted <laughs> with him. <laughs> he feels like my character since he never actually appeared on the show. I mean, <laughs> he was only in name. You be real. Yeah, he was just he was just a name on the show, and then you like cast him, and I was like, he kind of came to life, and it's like, uh, let's see how much we can torture him. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was also when because um, in the Horseman is when I've gotten the idea to write. Matt and Alex's twins. And that suddenly, I don't know, became my headcanon for those two. Um, I know in If Found, I did not write it that way, and Matt's younger. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a spur-of-the-moment thing to write the two youngest as twins. And um, and then I, it just all of a sudden that's kind of gelled in my head. So in I think the first story I'm going to do on Sunday I think I'm starting Sunday. Sunday is the first, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm going to start with Send for the Man. And so in that one, again, I was revisiting the idea of Alex and Matt being twins. Terrible, terrible twins. <laughs> <laughs>
but if if it's just John, I don't think. I mean, if John was doing a whole save the world thing, you know, a big hail mary, like you can save the world. I could see John definitely if the whole world was going down in flames, because that includes McKay. Um, but I think that just as and if, if just I think for 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 McKay, just for one person, he would go back. Or as he said, would you go back in time to save Elizabeth Weir? He'd be like, oh, isn't there somebody better suited to that? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, are you sure I'm the best choice for this? Because she wasn't very nice to me. And um, she yelled at Rodney. And she kept trying to get my pants. <laughs> or, you know, Ellis. I'm, and he definitely wouldn't go back in time for Caldwell. Nah, dog. I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he straightened himself up and all, but are you sure he's the guy who's, because I said, this is the person who's entr- instrumental in winning the war. We need you to go back and save him. He's like, you sure are Caldwell? Are you really? sure? I'm not, I'm not sold on this. <laughs> but somebody said, you know, Rodney's the key to saving the world. He'd be like, yeah, I figured. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Duh. As if it could be anybody else. So where am I landing and what do I do? <laughs> Do I have any, you know, wiggle room for some stuff? Because <laughs> I got some issues. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I sometimes get these half-formed ideas. So some, I'm, I'm kind of this is this is kind of like forming in my head as I'm speaking. Sometimes ideas, like I, you know, before I get them fully out expressed, it's like I realize they're crap. So. <laughs> Um, but you know how a lot of times when we talk about AUs where Rodney didn't go to Atlantis and people get very stuck on the fact that all this shit would have happened and Atlantis would have died and sunk and the world would have ended if Rodney hadn't gone to Atlantis. And our counter to that argument is often you're assuming there's nobody else they would have found who was competent with ancient technology to have gone. Well, what if the expedition, what if that was the case? What if, what if that is what happened? Is that John went, everybody else was the same, but Rodney never came back from, what if Rodney like died in Siberia or something? And um, the expedition failed because Rodney wasn't there. Okay, now, so now I'm mad. You killed Sorry. Rodney. <laughs> so Rodney dies and then everybody dies. And like John ascends, they help John ascend like right before he dies. And, um, like, the ancients are, like, scratching their heads going, this is not supposed to go this way. Or what if it's not the ancients? What if it's somebody else? What if there is, like, a hand in, of fate thing? In Sentinels of Atlantis, um, there is an implication that I have not fully explored yet that will be explored in Season 2, if I ever get there, um, where the ancients are kind of like toddler ascended. They're the bottom rung. And there are levels above them that they call the others that they are completely unaware of. And that is, um, the the idea came to me that ascension is, is not a one-time process. That it is an ongoing process. That you ascend repeatedly as you self-actualize and um, grow. As a soul. And so the Satedans, Ronan's ancestors, and coincidentally all the Sentinels' ancestors, are above the Alterans. And there are 
thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them, and they are bound to the energy of the universe. They're pure psionic energy. So they're, in essence, um, the highest level of the hive mind. In that they are kind of like merging together, but can separate. And they, you know, depending on what you wanted to do with it, they could be a force for um, chaos or not. Yeah, you could have... You could have them be um, the ones who, um, let's say they're not bound by time at the higher level. Um, and they um, know that there are things that should have played out and didn't. And they, inter- they, wait, they wait to see what, what the effect is of what they feel like is um, a key player or whatever, I you know there's there's like a there was some pretty common famine in the Buffy universe, which was they dealt a lot with chaos gods and agents of chaos, and um, and that basically agents of chaos were basically at the best they kind of instruments of change, and what kind of instrument of change they were was to be determined by a lot of factors, including upbringing, circumstances, how the world interacted with them, and that, but, that somehow change would occur around them, and that kind of the powers that be watch these agents of chaos, these you know, instruments of chaos, because they were unpredictable. They could kind of throw your plans off. And what if Rodney is an, like a, one of those sort of instruments or agents of chaos, and it's sort of like, well, this can be a pivotal player, or they can be the person who really throws it off. And a, like a wise, really wise being would know not to interfere with that, um, to wait and see how things played out. But maybe someone who's unwise tries to interfere, tries to, you know, kind of um, nullify chaos. Um, yes, the powers would be. In the, um, in the SOA world building that I did for this, um, the reason that the ancients have their no interference policy is that the others don't think they're qualified. It isn't their rule. They're not allowed to interfere because they're too dumb. They're not ascended enough. I went, I went a little bit different in emergence with the whole, because I have other, the ancients were taught how to ascend by beings who are native to that plane of existence. Um, mm-hmm. And the issue with the beings that are native to that plane of existence is that they're kind of, they're eternal, um, timeless, eternal. They don't really know to give a shit about anything. Um but the ancients are the the the, the race of the ancients and the Ori. It's like both given the the knowledge of how to ascend, um, and then basically they had to follow their own rules. And as long as they're kind of honoring their own rules, we're going to ignore you because we don't give a fuck. But they could make them give a fuck, right? But all that would be for me would be a change of world building where they're apathetic to getting rid of the apathy. But yeah, it's kind of a 
um, we're going to exchange knowledge with you. Um, well, it was sort of a bargain struck. It's some faction of these ancient eternal beings wanted to understand a more bounded existence. So they left that dimension. And in exchange for teaching the path to ascension, they were allowed to live with the ancients for a time. Um, but anyway, um, there's a lot that I think there's a lot of unexplored potential in what can be done with the other planes of existence and other beings in that plane of existence. And, and um, if you take away the idea that the ancients are the all powerful ones out there, that gives you a lot of um, Room. very powerful um, beings to work with that can do things especially in the matter of time travel. And if you've got a being that's outside of time and outside of your physical reality and you're only sending someone's consciousness back, you don't have to deal with like things like paradoxes and splinter universes and all that kind of crap. Author hand wave of destiny. <laughs> exactly. Because there is, there is an, there is a, a major change with time travel there's kind of a, an, an implicit splinter universe idea that occurs. Um, and I always found that, I think it's realistic. That's sort of a realistic approach that you've kind of created a splinter universe. But I always found that kind of sad because there's still a universe out there where everything fucked up happened. Where yeah, the earth is cold. You know, there's still... Splinter universes are real. I find it realistic, but they do make me sad. So, I mean, I, could, I, can, I can definitely acknowledge that, you know, which is why when you use some sort of um, really outside of time, all-powerful being that can contain the effects of a time travel paradox, um, that was typically the way I would usually go, if possible, if at all possible, so that I don't have that sort of, you know, author sadness over the universe that I just fucked. Up. Terribly. In Phoenix, um, the implication is is that when he traveled back in time, he destroyed his re- on, the re- on the reality he came from. Yeah. Well, like in a Leo Moto, I have um, magic unmaking the universe back to a point. So it's not really true time travel, right? She's just erasing. I mean, she's like taking her big cosmic, you know, eraser and just erasing back to what 1916 or something like that. Every time she mm-hmm. does this thing, so it's not like she's spawning splinter universes every time things go wrong. She's just unmaking everything back to that point, which is why only people who were who. died between the dates they had to have died between the dates um retain any memory of it it's because they preserve that memory comes to them um i had a whole big old thing written out to explain to myself why who would remember those passages of time and who wouldn't and why (laughs) because if you were alive if you would never because the thing is the memory you picked up your memories of prior lives and prior cycles when you went into limbo, when you went into that first stage of the afterlife. And if you were alive 
when she unmade things, you never went to that limbo to pick up your memories. You never remembered. And if you were already dead, you would have no cycles that you would have been repeating. So it was just this, a fairly large number comparatively, but not in terms of the entire enormity of existence. You have this one contained group of people who are doing this over and over and over and over again. They had to have died during that time period, and they had to have been, um, yeah, they had to have died during that window that she was erasing. Sometimes when I'm doing ideas like these, I really tangent myself on really strange things, trying to account for, like, who would remember and why. In case it ever came up, who would remember and why? And I don't know that it ever will come up, except that, like, Severus has memory of, he dies in every cycle, practically. Um, He remembers almost all of them. Um, Well, some are blocked on purpose. Um, he remembers quite a few. He remembers most of the cycles. And, but like Harry has memory of very few because he didn't die in many of them. He was alive when she resets most of the time. So perspective is very different for the people who have done it over and over and over and over again. And so the more time I wanted, I needed to get to the point of where they were desperate for this to stop. And Severus would definitely qualify. Yes, and he was desperate for it to stop, like anything to stop. Um, No, I wouldn't have had them go crazy uh, because this is something that's coming to them in the afterlife, and they only remember it in the afterlife, and there's no physical body, you know. Um, If you figure insanity is either a physical ailment in the brain or a disruption of chemical processes in the brain, then whatever's happening in the afterlife would not, there'd be no insanity with it, which is why Severus can't have more than one life's memory go back with him. It's because his, his physical brain can't contain all of those memories. Or he would go crazy. That is one of the things I think you have to do with time travel um, depending upon what nature of time travel you're doing, is there's a lot of little tiny things that sometimes, actually a lot of times the readers never know that you've worked out that you have to, you know, noodle on. And sometimes you go into really elaborate lengths on something with time travel that no one ever sees and it winds up being completely pointless that you worked that out. But hey, at least you knew. <laughs> if some butthead brought it up, you'd have an answer. I would have an answer. <laughs> So suck it. I know exactly what happened. <laughs> I think that um, often that I get, uh, it, it depends on the character, obviously, but I get kind of hung up on issues of uh, manipulation and consent. Um, because, like, if you go back in time and and you repeat a relationship that you had before and now you have all the tools you need to make sure this person always thinks the best of you, 
it's a, it, I mean, it's an it's an implication with ugly, ugly um, connotation to it. It's just you know it could be really inappropriate, and I am often very careful when I tra- time travel Harry Potter, so that he doesn't end up being you know twenty years more emotionally mature than Hermione. Because it's really disgusting to think about a 50-year-old Harry Potter going back in time and having a relationship with a 12-year-old um, Hermione Granger. It's disgusting. Yeah. Which is why I often have them travel together. <laughs> so I don't have to deal with that because it, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. But, like, if you take, um, you know, John and he... Maybe the reason that McKay is dead is because they had a terrible argument and a falling out. And he made a lot of mistakes in their relationship, and maybe Rodney left the program and ended up back on Earth and was in a car accident and died. And so John goes back in time to save him. And he has all this information on McKay on how to 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 have a better relationship with him. He has such a huge advantage over McKay emotionally. He has all these memories. Um you know, how skeezy is that? Which is why I'm kind of sitting here kind of liking the idea of John never met Rodney. And he's just told this guy is really pivotal. Right. And now the interesting thing is that if these ancients, because let's say it's some high, let's say we'll go with the idea of some higher level ascended being, who maybe they wouldn't actually be ascended because maybe they were there all along. I don't know. But anyway, whether you do a higher level of ascension or native to the ascended planes or whatever, what if they were like, so how far do you want to go back? Um, Because, you know, you just need to be sure that this is the point at which, you know, Rodney diverged from the program and where we expected him to come back into the program. So all you have to do is ensure that he stays on the program. But how far back do you want to go? Bearing in mind that you can't muck up his career path, his education path, would John choose to go back just enough to get into the program, or would he go way, 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 way back and fix his family? Greatly depends on what happened in his family. Like with Iterum, if he had been given a choice to go back before his younger brother died in that car accident, of course he would have done that. It becomes an issue of personal um, goal. Now, I didn't give him a choice. Um, I chose when he was going to go back. And that's a choice you get to make for yourself as a writer. Do you give your character a choice? And how do you define that choice? And what internal motivators and external factors figure into that choice? Did you see that? That was slick, wasn't it? Yeah, you just put that right in. <laughs> I'm working that craft. Okay, okay. But seriously, though, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm joking about it, but seriously, these are the kind of things you have to think about because then you have to justify their actions. Like if this is a John Shepard that knows that Charlie O'Neill dies in a um, an accident, a, a gun accident, um, does he go back far enough to prevent that? If not, why? Especially if he's got the choice. If he has a choice. If he has a choice. 
I mean, is this a John Shepard that goes back in time just shortly before Jennifer Keller graduates medical school and snipes her? I mean, you know, <laughs> just in case. Well, I would think if he had a little bit more I – mean, I like the idea what John did in um, in interim, which is he basically made himself more desirable for the SGC. Um yeah, though, I, don't, I don't think that was just like his intention. I think he was making himself better prepared for what he would face. But he effectively made himself more desirable to them by becoming a Marine instead of being the Air Force. Although they did, did tend to tend, seem to recruit more of their officer corps from the Air Force. Um, mm-hmm. but, and by making himself, you know, an elite combat asset, which actually made it probably harder for them to get him. Um but if he goes back with the intention of making himself more valuable to the mission, he would have more probably be more comfortable and feel like he had more say so over. I mean, John is going to know what they're facing out there to a degree, right? So he's going to probably mm-hmm. want to have more say, more say in what goes in the charter. And that John would probably take command from Elizabeth right away. I mean, it never made sense. The command was not taken from Elizabeth immediately. They weren't some. They weren't a colony, a peaceful exploration scientific colony. They became. Um, You're right, Demand. He would become a, a one man war, and that's what he did in Iterum. Yeah, I think I think that would be the course he would take. I think he probably would study more science, so he would be. I think he would want to be more well rounded on the city. I think he would probably focus on science even while he was in the um, military because he clearly was smart. So he could have handled a science degree at Annapolis. Um, but he would have, he would have, I think he would have made different choices about how he went about it. And he would have probably done, I think he was sneaky enough to have ensured there were a few things that were for like, you know, for worst case scenario, let's be sure we include these things in the charter, knowing he's going to get worst case. Um, right. And he would, if, if he's if he's more influential, he would just know he's going to veto Jennifer Keller ever coming to the city. He's probably going to veto Carson as CMO. A very dangerous person, Carson Beckett. Yeah. I would not want, as a military leader, I would not want, knowing he's going to be facing combat, a CMO or even any of the doctors to not be combat surgeons. It made no sense. I felt like the reason why Carson did the stuff he did with the ATA gene on the city was so he wouldn't be under the rules and regulations about um, scientific study and experimentation that he would have been under with the U.S. military. Um, Which means he has no ethics. Right. That's my headcanon for the reason why that wasn't done. Now, in in the second episode of Atlantis Codex – John and Alex are talking about um, Carson as CMO, and, and they're talking to Rod. And Alex is talking to Rodney about it, and they're kind of pissed. Well, they find out that you know 
the doctor they get, the doctor who comes in to do the surgery, in that first episode that I posted on Evil Author Day, the, the, the retired combat surgeon who comes in to do, do that, remove that explosive ordinance from that guy's leg, um, she's the one who becomes CMO in the, in the second episode. And um, she's, when Rodney and her are talking about the ATA gene therapy, she doesn't understand what the deal is because from their perspective, either you have the recessive gene or you don't. And if you have the recessive gene, all he should be doing is flipping it on. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of an alternate thing with the gene. Well, all he should be doing is flipping it on. He shouldn't be doing anything else. And um, that should be a fairly simple gene therapy that they should be able to fully test before they ever leave Earth. And so Rodney and her go digging into it and find out that he's, he's, he's done that part of it, and th- but, that's not, but that won't get somebody who doesn't have the recessive gene, any kind of gene therapy, any kind of gene activation. And so what he and Elizabeth had worked out was that they would wait to do um, the therapy he actually winds up giving people, which is attempting to grasp the gene, until they get to the city because then he wouldn't get in trouble for the unethical human, ex- human experimentation angle, which gets him cut from the mission. So that was the avenue I decided to pursue there, which is that it's actually the turning on the, AT, the, the gene if it's recessive is a fairly simple thing. So I would never have Carson come along as meeting him as a gene researcher. I would deal with that a little bit more effectively. I wouldn't take anybody out there to do experimental gene work. Because that smacks to me of human experimentation, and I'm just not down with that. <laughs> Christopher, did you guys watch um, Rampage? I fucking love that shit. I love big giant monkey movies. I do. I have not. Seen it was it. about genetic manipulation. It's hilarious. It's it's not it's not it's entertaining, but I wouldn't put I wouldn't take it seriously by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think it takes itself seriously. You know what I mean? I I can't imagine that any kind of big monkey movie is intending to be taking itself seriously. They're supposed to be entertaining and not supposed to be picked apart for science. Otherwise, we would never watch King Kong, Godzilla, no giant monster movies. And I love the fuck um, out Atlanta's- of King Kong, and it's not just for Tom Hiddleston's perfect shirt, although that did help. Which never stretches out. I mean, my T-shirts stretch out after a couple hours. I'm sorry. They don't have powers of, you know, eternal. It's a clean and crisp and, and snug the whole movie. Thank you, Tom Hiddleston's T-shirt. <laughs> we appreciate people, you. Some people, thank you guys for posting the link to episode. Episode one is complete. I just, because I wasn't ready to work on that series, um, I didn't post it to my website. It went on to Evil Author Day instead. But the episode itself is complete. It's just not, it's just not anything else finished at this time. In interim, when I had them go back in time, it was um, – 
it was Rodney's only chance, really, basically. You know, so it was it was an act of desperation for Rodney and a leap of faith for John. Because John had nothing left to lose. Yeah. And Rodney was in the process of losing everything. So they, they, they went into this situation with different motives. It isn't necessary for your characters to have matching motives to go back in time. You know, like if you sent Harry and Draco back in time, Harry's there to, you know, set things right, and Draco's there to fuck shit up. (laughs) Within reason. Or what he considers reasonable. (laughs) Like, wait, my version of reason or your version of reason? My version of reason, because you're a Gryffindor and fuck that. (laughs) So in... I want to clarify something I said earlier. In canon, it's never clear exactly what's going on with who gets the gene and who doesn't, at least not as I could tell. So it was became my head canon that some people have a recessive expression of the gene and that all Carson's gene therapy did was effectively turn that on. As far as that that's my head canon, that he never successfully gave anyone the gene. And making a recessive gene active turning it a recessive gene on is a, is a lot conceivably a lot simpler than because a gene somebody already has it's just recessive versus giving them a whole new gene so it it that's you know so anyway so it is i i don't feel like that it's something that that would they would based upon the technology of the show that flipping on a recessive gene was not something that was ever going to be difficult for them to accomplish there was no reason that they had to be on the city, um, except that Carson was trying to do something extra. And that's just my headcanon about the whole thing. Um, so it's just weird that they went out there and the first thing they did was start experimenting with a gene. That should have been locked up before they ever left Earth. So that's why I would still... Rodney would still have the ATA gene in any expression of that, you know, no matter which way I were to write that, um, whether Carson went to the planet, whether went on the expedition or not, um, whoever, whoever went would just deal with that in a more ethical way. And it would happen before they ever left the planet because getting there and immediately experimenting with changing people's DNA, it was just crazy. Especially since his ex- first experiment was the fucking CSO um, of the city. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm the chief science officer. I mean, you don't have somebody who's mission critical or mission essential be your first person you're doing gene therapy on. That doesn't make any sense. So um, the whole gene thing, all of that experimentation in, in the next episode of Atlantis Codex will happen on Earth because that's the only way it makes sense to me. And Carson's going to get cut from the program because of his and Elizabeth's intention of waiting to get to Atlantis to do this so that they can try to do gene grafting rather than just activating the gene for the people who have it. Um, so that's what I did there. But Rodney's always going to have the gene because if he, whoever got it in canon, because like I said, it's my head canon. 
that all they're doing is activating an obsessive gene. That's why so few people were successful with the therapy. It makes sense to me that she's um, that it that it works that way. Um, in the episode where Carson gives Rodney the therapy, um, Rodney makes some off comment about it, and uh, Carson Carson says something about the FDA. I don't remember the the exact line because it wasn't legal on Earth or something like that. Or there's no FDA out here or something like that. Shortly before he gives um, Rodney the injection. I don't remember the actual line, but I'm sure someone will look it up. Um, but the thing is, I don't, believe that the, I don't believe that the SGC ever cared about the FDA. They did experimental medical shit all the time when they had to. And active, yeah. you know, simple recessive gene activation is definitely within the scope of shit that they did. And that people would have signed waivers agreeing to, to at least life-saving experimental procedures because they couldn't risk exposing crazy shit aliens had done to their people to, you know, a civilian hospital. So people would have had to have agreed to a certain level of risk in their medical procedures and doing things that are not FDA approved. I think the reason why they had to get out there on Atlantis to do stuff is because they were doing something the SGC wouldn't have approved of. And I don't think the SGC would have approved of unnecessary risk in terms of experimentation with a gene therapy. Yeah, I don't think the FDA would have approved that whole let's solve Jack's um, plague by giving him a, t- a <laughs> toker symbiote. Yeah. That wasn't FDA approved. And, the, you know, letting the, the Asgard beam out symbiotes, I mean, that's, you know, um, I don't think the SGC is looking for FDA approval. When they get when they use the healing device, FDA has not approved that thing. No, so that not the imagination. Of, so Canon have they they have some plot holes around, um, and when they have like little minor plot holes around something of that nature, like with the gene therapy, they leave it open to interpretation about what it means because you can fill in a lot of different meaning, nefarious or you know good for good and bad. You know, you could, on the positive side, you could have them be, they just couldn't quite get it to work, which, considering the technology of the show, is questionable that they couldn't activate a recessive gene. But, um, but considering the technology of the show, I mean, it, you could interpret it positively that they couldn't get it done on Earth, and so they were hoping that they would find information on the city that would enable them to figure it out. Or maybe they didn't realize how necessary it was going to be, which is short-sighted, okay? Um, Or you can interpret it negatively the way I've done, which is that, um, you know, there's like a conspiracy But he was basically, he he had a pact with Elizabeth and, and, you know, allowed him to, you know, unlicensed human experimentation. And that's what he was going out there to do. And he was awfully willing for a medical doctor with when he was on Hoff to I mean, yes, he, he was trying to be the voice of reason on occasion, but in the end he still gave in. In a horrific way. Yeah.
And Carson's one of those characters I think you can twist positively or negatively um, and have him feel genuine. Because even if I were to twist his motives as being unethical, um, I don't think it, it, it doesn't make him necessarily a villain in any way. It just makes him, his focus very narrow. And he has no appreciation for consequences, which isn't necessarily off, very far off of his canon characterization. So he's a, he's a character who I just consider kind of neutral. You can kind of go any which way with him. Now with Iterum, one of the things I thought I kind of was, would be is difficult um, that I sort of admired the character's perseverance is it'd be difficult to stay apart from each other all that time. They did, I, but it would be yeah, difficult. I w- that was an iffy decision for me because I was like, you know what? But then I... But then you think about John's character, and especially in that story where he repeatedly set aside his own feelings and even helped McKay pick out a house for Jennifer Keller. So this is a man yeah. who's 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 repeatedly set aside what he wanted to to get through the day, and the end goal, his end goal, was always to be at the SGC and to, and it became something like, okay, he has to protect his, his, the integrity of his image and there can't be any flags. And so, you know, and government security clearances, they get deep, they get really, really deep. And when it comes to something like the SGC, it's going to get even deeper. And so realistically he had to know that, okay, I can, I can go to Annapolis which is going to set up my military career, or I can go here to this university where I know McKay is right now. I can get this degree, and it would be great, and I would know Rodney, and I would be able to talk to him. But it might interfere with my ability to go into the Marines, where Don't Ask, Don't Tell is just about to start. If it's even suspected that I'm having this relationship with this man, and how am I going to, to do to go to this college and see him every day and have the history we have and, and not want to crawl on top of him. So it became, um, it became a, a thing of, of denial, you know, denying what they both wanted to protect the path that they were um, both on that if done correctly would lead them right to each other. There's yeah. a line in I mean, another story that I'm writing um, where Rodney expresses regret about something. And John said he wouldn't change a single thing that led him to McKay. That every event that led him to, to meeting Rodney was worth it. So as as reckless as John was with the timeline, he also had a goal. And he was micro, it was like super focused on it. And that was getting to the SGC, being as attractive as possible to the SGC, being on his game, having a, a career as perfect as possible, being the, being the officer that he needed to be to be tapped for Atlantis. 
So because that would lead yeah, him back I, to McKay. <clears throat> I think that his rationale for staying away from Rodney was sound, and I could definitely see him doing it, but I could see it would be difficult if you've got Very two people who've traveled back in time to stay away from each other. Now, if John's traveling back on his own, he doesn't even know Rodney, and part of his you know, charter is to make sure that McKay's, McKay's life and his education does not go in a different direction. Don't interfere with him because you do not want to disrupt his life's direction. Um, then he would totally just try to stay as far away from Rodney as possible, which means he just focuses on his own shit. Um, I find that, I find but then there has to be a spot where they enter. enter. They in order to prevent Rodney from being killed in Siberia or wherever he ends up dying in the plot, um, John has to make an intersection point. Yeah. I think that John would try to get into the program sooner so that he's there when Rodney's there. Um, and if he can't prevent the outcome that gets Rodney sent to Siberia, I think he would volunteer to go with him. It's like, do we really want to send one of our own to another country by himself? Or but I think that and... if John was there to tweak McKay a little bit, say, hey, dude, you know, to to kind of head him off at the pass and say, let's 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 raise some of these things you're thinking a little bit differently. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You keep McKay from keep, having be sent there. Let's not call the chief scientist of the mountain a, a dumb blonde. That would be an excellent start. Well, if he's told, assuming he has information, um, he could set his sights on Area 51 and have interaction with Rodney long before the SGC. As a pilot, yeah. But that would make him going into the Air Force still. Yeah. Of course, there are there are Marine pilots, but um, more Navy than Marines. But yeah, if he wanted to be a pilot, he would have done better to go into the Navy under that branch of service. But a Navy pilot ending up in Colorado Springs is unlikely. Yeah, so he would have to. If if flying was a big deal, he would probably stay Air Force. On the other hand, um. If he's got a plan, this is a, this is a, this is a, this is an interesting idea. Um, I don't know how this would work out. If he, so he's got this other other being, high being, high power being, whatever that is, um, that is that has sent him back. And John could be like, "Look, you, you got to send me back to play a long game, and I could make the wrong choice. So at a couple at critical decision points, I need some intel because you can't expect me to remember everything." So he could, you know, <laughs> everything changes for him. Everything changes for him. So he could be as part of the, the deal he, he he negotiates is that at critical decision points he can ask, you know, okay, hey, out there in the ether, um, what is the um, what do I do now? Which way? Yeah, to go? he needs lifelines. Uh, you know, 
Yeah. Can we ask the audience? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never ask the audience. Never ask the audience. Um, but he could um, he could say, okay, I need to know. I got to choose between the Marines or the Air Force. And at critical moments in his, let's say, let's say the, the thing says you'll have a better chance of getting where you want to go if you choose the Air Force. Um, or, or you know, if you could tell him, say, look, I want to intersect McKay when he's at Area 51, so I can kind of try to temper some of this craziness out of him before he gets there, or be at the SGC when he arrives, or whatever. And um, this other being could occasionally, or even that could just be the condition that he gives him. Look, when I am making a decision that is impacting my ability to make this happen, I need a nudge. And maybe that's just what John gets periodically throughout his life is, most things, no, 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 he's not doing anything that it's matters one way or another. And then every once in a while, it'll be like a very strong, do that. Go here. Go there. Do this. Could be a very pushy nudge. Make a big joke of this story title and call it Lifelines. <laughs> and how many does he get? Um. Well, I would say I wouldn't put I wouldn't put a time limit on it. I wouldn't put any kind of limit on it because what if he picks the wrong one and he goes across a huge decision and he's out of lifelines? Yeah, I, I think I think it'd be like, look, this is the end game. This is the way I'm planning to go. This is the path I'm planning to follow. If I am doing anything that is steering me away from the path, that's not going to take me to where I need to be, you need to, you know, direct. And at some point, that direction is going to stop. Once they're both in the program, he's going to not need nudges anymore, which could make for an interesting, like, you know, later down the road when John thinks, you know, interference is over with. Oh, that could be interesting. Like, John, since John has actually met Rodney, he hasn't been nudged ever. And then when they're trying to, I don't know, pick an alpha site or something, he gets a very strong nudge. And it's because that's where all the ZPMs are. Yay, ZPMs. I love solving the ZPM problem. That's one of my favorite fixes in um, yep, SGA is getting them some fucking ZPMs. Because if they got power, <laughs> so many things don't happen. Chaya, what about Chaya? John would be really different. I don't think that he would, even if he and Rodney weren't together yet when they meet Chaya, um, well, that could be a nudge, but I don't think he's going to be as susceptible to her influence. Where is this John coming from? At what point in the timeline is, is this John coming from? Because it could be, he could well, like, look at that dress like, you know what, I think that some other team's going to be taking this mission, because <laughs> it's well, not a good I, idea for that bitch to take a good look at me. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of, um, I mean, you could have that they just all drown immediately, right? You could do that. Like, they just get there and everybody dies because Rodney's not there. Um, if without Rodney there... Would John die in that 38 minutes episode? Um, would they all die in that 38 minutes episode? 
I don't know. It would depend um, on who the chief scientist is, because if Kavanaugh's the chief, sci- the chief scientist, then yes, he's dead. But if it's Malinka, yeah. he'd probably live. But I, you could easily make a case that they just, because Rodney's not there, that they take, the losses are much heavier, and they limp along for the whole first season. Um, and maybe they lose Malinka fairly early on, and then they just have more and more and more and more losses. Kavanaugh does become the chief science officer, and then they lose the city when the race comes. And that's when John dies. Or you could have John die at that suicide moment, and uh, um, Rodney developed the, um, the algorithm that brought the Daedalus to um, Texas right. during the siege. If Rodney wasn't there to develop that and to send their letter home. Um, the Daedalus isn't there to pluck John off that jumper. She could have the city just go down to the, to the race, or you could have John dies, um, or he's ascended out of the jumper, or and it, it depends upon what information you want. I kind of like John, would want John to go back with, I think, the information about the first season. In his head, I just think I think if if Rodney is going to have a cataclysmic um, his his lack is going to have a cataclysmic effect on the, the expedition, um, I don't see them limping along for more than one year. No, I agree. And I think that they would eventually lose. What about again? I think that I think that. Uh, yeah, in in in, in what my video it was about eighteen months. I think that you have to um, consider the fact that Rodney had all the ideas because he was the only one that that he was there and he was having the ideas. But desperation is literally the mother of, the, the, the mother of all invention. And as long as Zelinka is there, and Zelinka is very smart. He's very smart. He's very educated. He um, he saves McKay in. Uh, under pressure. So is, is that what it's called? Or is that what I called it? Um, the one where he sinks into the ocean. Isn't that, so, isn't that in season two? Yes. Zelink is very capable of thinking on his feet. If McKay's yeah. not there to give the idea, Zelink is going to rise to the top. And I would yeah, say that as long when... as Zelink is there, that it would, they would, they would, but then when he goes, they're screwed. Yeah, I would have probably, if I were doing it, I would probably have Zelenka live long enough to ensure John gets past a couple critical survival milestones and then have Zelenka die. And then the expedition, just the losses, just keep piling up because they just don't have anybody. Um, Because yes, all or, the hunters on that shit on that city are smart. That's why they're there because they're the cream of the crop, as it were. But the cream of the crop doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good on your feet. And McKay yeah, and Carter right. both were unique in that they were smart and good on their feet. Yeah, they're not having the pressure. idea that saves the day ten days after the day is over. Right, having being under spot. pressure. Being under pressure to to meet some deliverable or show 
progress to your grant committee or whatever is not the same as being under pressure because people are trying to eat you. And, you know, if, if I, I would, you know, and that, that could actually be something that, that John um, does as he tries to get more military scientists um, assigned to the expedition, even though Weir might hate the idea. Because if it, you know, he could p- pitch it to the IOA. It's like, we don't know what we're going to find. And we'll concede that, you know, you know, we'll concede that the scientists will be, military or otherwise, will be in the civilian chain of command unless we are in a war zone out there. And if we're in, if it's hostile out there, we need as many military people, trained people as we've got. And in which case, everybody is in the military chain of command. So there's nothing to talk about. But I I could see that if he's time travel, but it would be something that he would, if he's he's able to influence the expedition charter, would be to try to get more military scientists on the expedition. Not to supplant, you know, Rodney as the the chief science officer, but just to get some more people out there who, you know, John could have memories of that's where they took their heaviest losses. Or, you know, at at one point, if they started losing their, their civilian scientists left, right, and center, that they just didn't have the Marines anymore to protect them. And they couldn't really protect themselves all that well. And to know that he had scientists out in the field who, who not only could shoot a gun, but could shoot a gun when they had to. Who could shoot a gun with a race bearing down on them and not freeze up. Or get frustrated and throw the gun. Yes. Or run. There are some people in a fight or flight situation who will always fight. And there are those who will always run. And that is instinctual. You, you, it's hard to overcome. So it is not about bravery or courage or it's about your instinctual responses to situations. Instinctive. And some people. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite of what you're saying. It's instinctive, not instinctual. Oh, thank you. I always do that. Always. Always do that. With those I, two words. I think a lot of people mix those two words up. I wonder why. Well, obviously they're spelled very similar, but you know, I can't see. Well, they mean basically the same thing. They're both they're both an automatic response. It's just one is an unlearned automatic response, and the other is a learned automatic response. So, um, somebody who is trained combat combat assets are trained to have instinctual responses that are contrary to instinctive responses. So you kind of overwrite the instinctive response with an instinctual one through training, which is, okay. you know, what happens when you go through combat training, right? So you can, when a response, you know, some people, but I agree with you, some people's instinctive response is to fight, but somebody whose instinctive response is to flee can be trained to, but it, it's harder. It's harder. If you're, if you're, if your instinctive response, if your fight or flight, if your amygdala goes run, and it's hard to to train that into an instinctual response of fight. But I think the people who have that response don't tend to get into situations where they're going to be fighting that. <laughs> they're not the right. kind that signs up for special forces. <laughs> There's nothing wrong well, with I that. I'm serious. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You you are who you are. You are how you're made. You know, and it, it, it's it's um, like for instance when there's a 
event in my family. You know, somebody dies or somebody gets really sick, somebody's in the hospital, somebody has a stroke. Um, there are members of my family who are Johnny on the spot. They've got food, they've got a plan, they've got a visitation schedule, just that we're ready to go, we're ready to rot, we're in this. They're on the internet looking up shit, we've got people on tablets, and then we got some that are sitting in the corner crying. That's their job, they cry, it's fine. That's why the rest of us are here. <laughs> yeah, it's My sister's okay. a crier, it's, it's okay. I'm a planner. <laughs> Yeah, you cry. You sit right here, honey. You cry. I'm gonna go get us some sandwiches. <laughs> and when it's all said and done, and I'm exhausted, and the danger is behind us, or whatever, you can get me a sandwich. <laughs> and I'll cry. I'm a crier after the fact. I am too. When I'm I am in too. it, I'm definitely. When I'm in it, I'm I am all in. And then afterwards, I'll find a space by myself and shut the door and lock it and cry like a baby. <laughs> But I have to yeah, be alone like, when I do it. <laughs> like I'm going in my blanket fort, and I'm not coming out for two days. But the thing is, a lot of scientists who have never been in danger, like if you if you're at, if you're if your world is academia, what are you going to do the first time a wraith comes at you? Your 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 instinct is not going to be to pull your gun and shoot it, unless you're just an academic who happens to have that you know, the, the fight side of the fight or flight response. Um, I do think some of it is, is a, a predisposition. Some people are wired one way or the other. Um, and part, some, part of that's an evolutionary response, right? Like as to which you should do. Um, you know, when we're in the cave and there's, you know, some rampaging bees coming at you and there's two small children, um, mom's, instinctive response should be to grab the kids and run. And odds are, you know, the Neanderthal dad's um, you know, instinctive response is to get his spear. So, And fight. It, because evolutionarily speaking, you, it was a preservation of the species, right? If somebody has to right. cover... So the the kids can get away. Otherwise, your species doesn't survive. Talk about in, in instinctive responses. I used to have a cat, and my husband had a chow. Uh, it's a breed of dog, if you're not aware. And she hated my cat. And this dog didn't like me either. Um, and it's really rare for an animal not to like me, so it really hurt my feelings that she didn't like me. But I just think she was jealous, um, and she was used to having all of his attention. And when I moved in, she was like, nope. <laughs> Not having it. And she hated my cat. So and it could be because I smelled the cat, you know. But um, most of the time, animals just love the shit out of me, whether I want them to or not. Um, Ellie says a child is a one-person dog, one dog, and that's probably true enough. Um, anyway, she hated my cat. And my cat got out into the garage. And I go to get the cat out the back door, and there's the dog. And she lunged. And I should have, honestly, having, I should not have done what I did. But I, I, I lunged too, and I lunged for my cat. And I got between that cat, well, I picked up the cat and that chow, and I popped her in the chin with my foot to hold her back and threw my cat into the house. And 
hoofed it up the stairs and shut the door on her. And she was furious. She was barking and howling. I called my husband. I said, the dog's losing her mind. I told him what happened. And he said, do you know that dog could have killed you? I said, why would you have dogs that would kill me? (laughs) But, you know, honestly, honestly, realistically, rationally, I should not have gotten between that cat and that dog because she could have killed me. Um, But I have to say that if I had to do it all over again, I would still do it. Because sometimes you, that you was my, got it. My baby. I bottle fed that cat when she, because her mom died. Um, and um, when I had to, to uh, adopt her out uh, because of allergies, it, it, it really, it broke my heart. I've never been a big fan of Charles personally. I've only ever met, well, I've only been around a couple of them, but I found them to be foul-tempered. She was. She was very foul tempered. Um she uh she was just not um she did not enjoy me at all. Um which is like I said, rare for me, um, to encounter a dog that doesn't like me. Even Buttons, the one that broke my foot, liked me. Liked me too much, actually. Because <laughs> when he knocked me off the side the um driveway, he wasn't trying to attack me. <laughs> he was excited to see me. Buttons. Those of you who don't know yeah, my, so- my 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 blog, um, Buttons is a dog that my neighbors owned, and it was a Doberman Pinscher. And um, Buttons knocked me off my um, driveway and broke my foot, and I wrote Birth of the Serpent King. <laughs> I, I just had a picture of a couple. Look at those child puppies; they look like bears. <laughs> They do look like bears. They're adorable. Little black bears. But Buttons lives in Florida now, um, so he's living his best life in Florida with my neighbor's son. And um, I got a picture of Buttons recently, Buttons on the beach, and I was like, why, you asshole? (laughs) Why does Button get to go to the beach? (laughs) But, yeah. It, it it was, you know, you think about it, right? Speaking of things that I do that I shouldn't do, um, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, so the other night I was sitting here and um, I heard this loud boom noise outside. So I was like, what the hell is that? So, of course, I go to look, right? And I put down my shoes and my husband comes up and says, what are you doing? And I was like, I heard noise outside, so I'm going to go look. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm married to that white girl who dies in the movie the first. <laughs> I said, I'm not the first one to die because the first one to die is usually the one fucking the douchebag. <laughs> but I did go out. He he got on shoes and went and looked for me. A branch fell off our tree. Um, but yeah, I'm, he's married to that white girl that dies in the horror movie. Because she goes to check on something that it happened and, you know, some noise she heard. But I do think that John's epitus for going back in time would be McKay. Am I saying that word right? Epitus? Probably not. Impetus? Impetus? 
impetus. How do I have an uh online about? I don't know. Uh. Um, I think I agree with you. I think it would be if it were to be for one any one any one person as well. On the other hand, I could see him going back in time for any of his family members too. But um, but McKay is wrapped up in like the world ending, going back in time. I mean, McKay would be part of that. But I'm trying to think of, you know, most of the reasons why I would see him, other than outside of McKay's death and world ending, I'm trying to think of other reasons why he would go back in time. What if it's not his choice? No, what if it's more of a... Well, it could be not his choice. He could he could get flung back in time. We could do it to him, and he has no idea why. But what if, like these, um, um, I don't know. Let's say higher ascended beings. Um, what if what if in the, in their time in Atlantis they never stumbled across like this one planet that, um, They, that these higher ascended beings really needed them to be go to for some reason. Um, I don't know what that reason would be. But what if it was something that had nothing to do with um, with 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 things personal to John? What if it was something like, look, you guys went out and you went, you came back and you woke up all the race and you kind of. You know, I don't know, our favorite children or something like that were consigned to be eaten or whatever. Um, and everything you guys needed to succeed was there. Um, and we'll sweeten the pot. We'll send Rodney back with you. We <laughs> <laughs> can have a partner in crime, but we need you guys to go back and we need to go to this planet. We'll give you some tips, but you need to do a better job. And don't wake the wraith up for fuck's sake. It's kind of a an iffy thing on the wraith because there were there were wraiths already awake because Ronan's these people were cold during that time period so there were already you just don't kill the wrong wraith because there was that one keeper right what they called them there were some that were kind of I don't remember how they referred to them but there were some that were left that that were almost like I hate to use this term you know, considering what we're about to do, but they're like the sentinels of the group, you know, like they probably rotated on, they're like on watch or something. Um, Which actually makes no sense when you see them later and you find out that they're, that they're, they're ruled by queens and they have like hive groups and they fight amongst themselves for territory. Yeah. Why would they hibernate and then make themselves vulnerable and all be under one keeper's process where she could just take them all out, solve her problem. She'd know where they all were. Yeah. I know that whole thing never made a lot of sense, why that one race was awake and her death woke up all the rest. Um. Maybe, like maybe she was, she was the Uber queen. 
Yeah, maybe she wasn't supposed to be awake. Maybe they. That was just that was it was a little bit weird. But I mean, there were going to be some wraith out there. But did they need to deal with all the wraith? Really? Did they wake up because she sent the message about the new feeding ground, or because she died? It could be because she died. I think it was probably because she died and she sent. Because I think if it had just been her and she had survived, I think she wouldn't have shared that information. But because she was dying, she was going to fuck them as hard as she could. Considering what the queens were like, such a fertile, you know, rich feeding ground to herself would have been. not having to share it with the other queens, I could see why she would want that for herself. But because she was being, she died, I could see her wanting to fuck the other queens as much as possible. I mean, fuck the humans who had killed her as much as possible. Um, I just got, I had a message, just got a message from somebody who asked if they can use any of the time travel ideas or concepts we've discussed. I don't, I don't feel like I've, I mean, there was sort of a loose plot there, but I don't feel like I've plotted a very specific story um, in this no, particular concept. Any particular concept anybody who's like really, you know, um, wants to use or finds inspiring and you want to use it, um, go for it. I don't care. Um, although, if I would just, you know, put a caveat in there that, you know, if I ever choose to use any of these concepts in a future um, story, that I'm not going to try to hunt down anybody else who's used these concepts and do any kind of give them credit. Know, recon- <laughs> For my idea. credit or anything like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't care if, 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 or even if, you know, the sort of half formed idea to there is something you find appealing and you want to run with that. I don't care. Um, this was sort of more of a, um, we dealt more with motivation and time travel concepts and a little mm-hmm. bit looking into ripple effects of time travel than, um, specifically plotting, doing a full story plot. So, yeah. But yeah, feel free, do what you want. I encourage you, and you know, and if you if you if you, if something here inspires you um, to to want to write a time travel story and you want to sign up for the Quantum Bank, I would love that. If if something that a podcast we did inspired a story that wound up on the Quantum Bank, that would be banging. That would be so awesome. I like the idea of traveling back in time together, but I also like the idea of of of, of John making the Hail Mary play. That just that really appeals to me, because um, because he does it a lot in the show, but it's never um, it's it's about him killing himself basically for somebody else. Um, he does it twice, thinking he's going to die. He's going to make the, make the sacrifice play. Um, so it would be interesting to have him make the sacrifice play, think he's going to die. <laughs> And then not die, but end back up, end up back in time. Yeah. Um, there's something interesting about there's something interesting about like the the un 
unplanned. We, we don't know what happened time travel. Um, because there's something, there's, I don't know, there's something interesting about that, that character floundering around trying to figure out, not floundering for long, because long-term floundering is, is unattractive on anybody. Um, but yeah, that little bit even of Joe Flanagan. To, <laughs> yeah. There's that little bit of time where they're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and what do I do and is this real? Am I hallucinating? Am I trapped in some sort of funky machine? Um, now, in that episode where they were, as I recall, this is I haven't seen this episode in a while, but there was that episode where they were going back to where they thought that they had found a way back to Earth, um, and it was really just an, an illusion they were living in to keep them from activating a gate and killing all these little yeah micro micro aliens. And I, as I recall, John figured it out pretty quickly what was the, that they were in an illusion, mm-hmm. um, and he was just. Um, I think I recall he kind of was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want kind of thing. One Apparently of them, it's called home. It's called what? Home. Yeah, it Season one. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't to me a very. Episode nine. Yeah, it wasn't a very interesting episode to me overall. It was probably one of my least favorite episodes outside of that old Elizabeth episode in season one. Um but um, it was interesting from the perspective of how each of them responded differently to um, figuring out and noticing that things were were um, were wrong with these illusions they'd been given. And John, I think, wasn't it John? He, he encounters a dead person like right away, and that was his clue, or something Not like that. Not right away, but yeah, been... yeah, he does end up at a party where um, his his former teammates are having are giving him a party for being home and most of them are dead. Yeah, so he knows something's amiss. So he just kind of like throws his feet up and is like, yeah, let's have a good time. Um, when I saw that episode, my first clue um, that this something was very wrong with that episode and that what they were seeing wasn't real was how quickly they got out of the SGC and their willingness to just let Taylor go, you know, jaunting about Earth. Um, that seemed implausible. Not implausible, impossible in the Stargate universe, but just, you know, sort of ridiculous. It could have been a plot hole, but it turned yeah, out Yeah, Tilk had to petition to get, a, to get an apartment like four years in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and Taylor, who they know nothing about, um, comes back from this, and she's part race. Um, so, yeah, there was just, although I don't think they knew that at that point in time. Um, but, yeah, so there was just some, a lot. But it, it, I, I thought it to be kind of a tedious episode overall. But, yeah, it was, uh, I seem to recall that John was kind of just kind of doing a, um, well, you know, it's happening. I might as well have a good time. <laughs> Can't do jack shit about this. Hand me a beer. <clears throat> So there is something interesting about so there's something interesting about the thrown back in time and not know why you're thrown back in time element. But the one of the things about that is if it's never explained, um, it can kind of leave you feeling like you might be in an unreliable narrator situation, like trapped in an illusion, 
or some sort of stasis field or, um, you know, there's some, there's, if, if, if the method of time travel and the reason for the time travel is never explained, it kind of is a head tilter at the end for me. Um, if it takes you 120,000 words to explain the time travel, as long as it comes eventually before the end of the story, a credible reason for the, why this person traveled in time, um, if they just never figure it out, again, I often wind up feeling like, did I just read an unreliable narrator? Are they trapped in an illusion? Are they stuck in a, you know, is Are they a in a coma? Yeah, did none of that happen? Is this Dallas? I Did Jonathan Frakes direct this episode? <laughs> Now that could be a freaky thing. Is that that um, it, it's not time travel exactly as it is um, a vision of the future gone awry, and it happens like while John's in a coma or something. And he comes out of his coma having lived fifteen more years, and he thinks it's just that one big elaborate dream until the things he dreamt about start happening. You'd want to but get again, his first event to be something something um, innocent, something that wouldn't be traumatizing. Otherwise, that trauma yeah. would follow him, or realistically should follow him. Um, so you'd want to give him an event like him breaking his arm or something that, um, and it happens just the way it happened in the dream. And then maybe give him another one, you know, he has a fender bender. But you wouldn't want to kill off somebody <laughs> You want to give him Another. some vision to, to to realize that it was actually happening, so he doesn't end up traumatized for the rest of it. Yeah, but again, you'd have to still explain the method that eventually I think have to explain the method by which he had this vision of the future that he has now been able to avoid. Otherwise, you still wind up thinking he's still in the coma. The way I would do it is. Um, that at some point in the future, he's on Atlantis and Rodney hands him a device and um, Rodney and John asked what it is. And uh, Rodney said, it's just a little reminder thing. Send yourself a note. Send yourself a letter. And he's oh. like, what? And he's like, just, just send yourself a letter. Just, just think about something and send it to yourself. And it doesn't work. So Rodney thinks, so John does it, and, oh, well, it didn't work, and puts it down because he sent it to his 15-year-old self. All the things, yeah, you could, all the things he wished he'd known. You could have it be something that is very literal, because you know me how I like the literal. Um what if he's helping Rodney with something? This would be a terrible example of the literal thing. What if he's helping Rodney fix something and he's not doing a very good job of it and Rodney had handed him that device? And so the first thing he puts in the device is note to self, become an, a, a mechanical engineer instead of a pilot. <laughs> and, and so when he has that critical moment of choice where he has to choose a career path, he chooses to become an engineer instead of a pilot. And he maybe he knows the future that the pilot him would have had, and he's that. But that maybe maybe he chooses to be a pilot anyway, 
But it's that point in the past where he's like, he blinks and he goes, what? Why did I tell myself to become a mechanical engineer instead of a pilot? And maybe it gives him all that knowledge of the future about up to the point that his self said that. But it could be anything. It could be, I don't know, he could say no to self, become a Marine instead of an Air Force pilot. And the device is just really literal. So... (laughs) It resets time back to that decision point or something like that. Yeah, Resetting I mean, it would just, time. It would be really fun to to um to to do that that kind of thing. Like just it could just be like a haphazard dumbass shit that you know that they're doing because the, they have a habit of just picking up shit and doing dumb shit with it. Like that whole thing where they played the game, ancient civilization. Yeah. It turned out they were actually manipulating people. <clears throat> they were never very careful. Actually, I would have to call that story note to self. <laughs> it kind of gave me a bunny, but um, it's just it's just a really interesting idea that you know Rodney gives them this device just because he's annoyed with John or something. Like John's asking too many questions. She's like, "Here, just play with this. Hand, just do this. Send yourself a note. Stop being an asshole." <laughs> and John does send himself a note. <laughs> a really long, detailed one about the race. <laughs> Go have a talk with yourself. <laughs> um, anyways, we're down to a minute and 15 seconds. Um, but uh, uh, I, on that, I'm, I'm stuck. So you guys are just going to go on without me. Just go on. Just go on without me. She needs to reboot. Reboot my brain. 60 seconds. You guys have a um, great rest of the week, and we'll be back probably tomorrow to think of something else to talk about and um, and say goodnight. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs>